So we're continuing this morning our study in the book of Matthew. So we're in Matthew in chapter 25, if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there. We're looking at the parable of the talents this morning. So just a bit about, um, by way of introduction, kind of where we've come from, where we've been, and, and where we're heading this morning. We've uh, been looking for the past few weeks um, except for the break for Easter, um, from Matthew 24, and, and now we're in 25. So 24 and 25 are actually Jesus, it's an entire monologue of, of Jesus speaking to his disciples. Um, and a little bit more about that as we get in. Uh, but just know that these are the words of Jesus as he is answering questions that his disciples have posed to him. So we'll read from Matthew 25 and starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servants. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, for Your Word that is given to us. Father, we pray that You would fill us with Your Spirit this morning as we seek to read and study and understand, but mostly hear from You. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, will be pleasing to You this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So as I said, um, G- this entire... Um, parable and and the ones coming before it are Jesus answered to the question. And let's just turn over briefly back to the beginning of chapter 24, just by way of context. Jesus had just said that the temple was going to be destroyed, which was an astounding idea for the disciples. 
This temple that was the symbol of, of everything for them. And Jesus said, it, it's going away. There won't be one stone left on another. And then in verse 3, in, in chapter 24, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and, and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. So the disciples are saying, when is this terrible thing going to happen? And, and they connect the destruction of the temple with the end of the age. That, that must be the end of times when that happens. But Jesus explains to him, actually, it's two different events. And, and, and it was preached a few weeks ago through this passage, um, explaining what these things mean. Um, but just by way of reminder that now this, these entire two chapters, 24 and 25, are, are Jesus saying the response to that question, when will these things be? And what will be the signs that these things are happening? And Jesus said, see that no one leads you astray. He's teaching his disciples. He He wants them to know the truth, to not be surprised about the things that are coming, which are not very nice. And he wants us to, to see the same thing. He says, false teachers will try to say, I'm the Christ. Or perhaps, it's, it's been so long, he's not coming back. Look how long he's been gone away. That, that's what people will try to say to you. But Jesus is saying, no, I am coming back. These things are going to happen, so get ready. And then he goes on to tell them about the destruction of the temple, uh, which does happen, which did happen uh, in 70 AD, uh, which we know about, and then about his return. And then in, in verse 36, it's very interesting in 24 and 36, he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels, nor the son, but the father only. So no one knows the exact moment. The disciples want to know, when is this going to happen? And Jesus says, no one knows, not even I know. Um, in my flesh, now as God, he did know, but in his flesh, he's saying, not even I know, only the father knows. But what he's saying is, that's not what's important. It's not important that you know the exact day and hour and time. The point is, I'm telling you it's going to happen. So get ready. And then he, um, he goes through a few more of these um, parables and teachings from uh, verse 37. He describes how it's going to catch many people by surprise. Many people won't be expecting it. And then from 45 uh, through 51, he warns the disciples not to assume that the Christ will stay away longer than he actually does. So he's saying um, people will think, oh, he's been away for so long. It's been such a long time. He's never coming back. But then it says he'll come when it's least expected. So he, he will come. And then in the next section that we looked at last week that Nick took us through was the, the parable of the ten virgins. And the idea was that the, the master of the Lord of the bridegroom stayed away longer. He was delayed well into the night. So that picture of he, he is going to be gone or, or not coming uh, for a longer time than, than might be expected. And you need to prepare yourself for that length of time. And the the wise virgins had their extra oil. The foolish virgins did not. So the wise virgins were, they were prepared for the length of time that it was going to take the bridegroom to come. 
So again, Jesus is answering the question saying, I'm coming. It's going to be when you least expect it. Some people are going to be surprised. It it, it might not be as long as you think, but it is going to be a little bit longer than some people think. You have to be prepared for both. Um, And now in this parable, he's describing what do you do while you're waiting? So in other words, the preceding parable was about waiting for the Lord because he was delayed. And this one is about working for the Lord while you're waiting. And so we have, we have these, all of these parables and, and descriptions of things Jesus is giving to his disciples to prepare them for this length of time between that moment and when he returns. And it's the same message uh, for us today. A few observations about the, about the parable that we just read. Um, the, the master is of, course, is, of course, Jesus. So the, the, this wealthy master that is, is going away, obviously he's talking about himself. He is the one who owns all of these things, and he has this property that he's entrusting to people. He's talking about himself. And then the servants are, of course, his followers, the, those people who are following him. Uh, he very frequently uses that language of, of servants uh, in his teaching. And so he's saying, you are these servants. I am this master. And here's this little story to, to illustrate the point. Now, the master was very wealthy. Uh, I think when we, when we read the story and we think, oh, five, two, and one, it doesn't sound like that much. It's something you might give to your child. Um, oh, here's your allowance or, or thanks for helping me, you know, do the washing up. Here, here's a talent. Um, but, but actually, uh, a talent was, was worth way more than that. Um, we're, we're told in the sort of Bible footnotes that a talent might've been as much as 20 years wages, uh, for a laborer. Um, or, or we're told to think about it as, um, like a sack of silver or gold, uh, something of great value. So he is essentially giving them five sacks of silver or two sacks of silver or one bag of, of money that's has great value. And again, the exact value is not what's important. Uh, the point is that it's a lot. And, and this master owns all of this and he is entrusting or he's, he's trusting these servants that they will be good stewards of the money, that they'll look after it properly for him while he's gone. So all of this belongs to him and he's, he's giving it to his servants to have for a short period of time while he's away. Um, now, in, throughout the Bible, God's people are presented in different ways. We're called sheep, um, as we just studied in Sunday school this morning. Uh, we, we might be called soldiers. We might be called children. Um, but in this parable, Jesus is using the word servant, or uh, you might even say slave or, or bondservant or worker uh, or whatever that, that idea is portraying that these people have a responsibility to their master to work for him with his property. And each is to work according to his ability. And, and the master knows the servants. Um, perhaps maybe the one that had five had, had been with him for a longer period of time. We don't know. Or maybe um, somehow he was more, had greater ability. Uh, so he gave him more. Um, again, we're, we're not told. But just that the master knows each servant. And he doesn't put more on the servant than he's able to do, um, but he also doesn't give him less. 
He, he gives him what he should have. And it's, and it's then the responsibility of the servant to work with what's been entrusted to him. So the most, most parables have one main point, and I, I think we can say that the main point of, of this parable is that the faithful servant will be a good steward of the talents that are entrusted to him. And he will enter into the joy of the presence of his master. So the faithful servant will be a good steward. Now, it's important we get that in the right order, um, because I, I think before we go much further, I, I want to say what the parable is not about. Because it's very easy when we read this parable to think, oh, the first two did well. They got to go into the joy of the presence of their master. They went, they went to heaven. Um, the third one didn't do so good. He was, he was cast out into the, the, into darkness. And we start thinking, well, if I do well, I'll be accepted. I'll be loved. I'll be favored by God, by my master. If I don't do well, eh, he's not going to like me very much. Um, but that's not the point of the story. And I think it's very important for us not to, not to miss that, that that's not the point. It's not about earning salvation. This, these followers or these servants um, of Jesus were not earning favor with God. They're, they're proving their status or their salvation. And the distinction is, they, the fate, as I said before, the point is the faithful servant will be a good steward. In other words, he's, he's proving what he already is. He's not earning a new status based on his performance. We can, um, we can look at this point in, uh, in a couple other places. Let's turn with me to John chapter 5. And come to chap- uh, verse 24. Again, Jesus speaking. John 5 and 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is Jesus saying, whoever believes has eternal life. Full stop. You believe you have eternal life. But keep reading. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now wait a second. It sounds like, that, that sounds a little more performance based, doesn't it? So he just said, if you believe you have eternal life. And then he says, those who have done good get eternal life, and those who haven't done good, make sense of that. The, the point is the same. If you believe in Christ, if you believe in God, if you have received the new heart, you are a new creation, you will do good. Because Christ has making you, has made you this new creation to do good works, to do good, to work for Him. That's who you are. That's your new identity in Christ. Um, 
one more, Matthew chapter 3, from verse 1. This is talking about uh, John the Baptist, Matthew 3 and verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken of who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that was John the Baptist's role. That was what he was doing. He was preparing the way of the Lord. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Nowadays, um, when when someone um, comes into the church, a lot of times we, we rightly welcome them with open arms. Come, it's open to all. It's welcome to all. And we're a little astonished by John the Baptist rebuking these people who are coming, but it's becoming, they're coming with the wrong motives. He's saying, who warned you to flee from what's to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, don't just go through the religious motions Don't just try to make yourself look like you're a Christian or that you you believe these things. Your, Your life must reflect the reality that you profess to believe. And if it doesn't, you haven't repented. You haven't received that change. That's what John the Baptist is telling these Pharisees. So he's saying if you're coming and repenting, your life should reflect it. And that's what, that's what our parable is talking about today. He's saying, these, if you are a faithful servant of the master, of Christ, your life will bear the fruit of your repentance, of your changed life. <clears throat> um, so we are, we are these stewards now, what is a steward? It's the one to whom has been entrusted the property or the gift. Um, a lot of times we'll talk about being stewards of time, treasures, these things that are given to us, entrusted to us. They're, they're not ours to use to our own advantage, but we're, we're given them to use for God, to work for Him. Uh, as, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, what, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants calls himself a servant, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 
Paul is saying, I was just using the gifts that were entrusted to me by God. Apollos was just using the different gifts that were given to him, that were entrusted to him. We're both just servants doing our jobs. God brought the the growth. To him be the glory. We're just servants. We're just doing our job. And then we have, so this this idea of, of us being servants, we have, Paul talks about uh, elsewhere, this old man or the, the putting off and the putting on. Ephesians 4 and 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So you have a person who was a thief. They were stealing. They were taking for themselves so that they could use it for their own advancement, their own benefit. They receive a life change. Their life should look different. They not only just stop stealing, but they start working for the benefit of other people. They're no longer a thief. They're no longer taking. They're working and giving for the the growth and advancement of the body. They now have a role. They, ha- they have a job. They're a worker, a servant. So this is the idea um, that, that Jesus is telling his disciples. D- don't just sit back and, and wait for me to come back. Don't be fearful like, like the third servant who, who went and hid the money because he knew the master would come back and he was afraid. But the master is loving. The master is kind. And in fact, the fruit, as we just read from Paul, actually comes from the Father. If the faithful servant works, the Father brings the growth. The Father makes the fruit come forth. But the faithful servant will be working. So as stewards, um, just a few points here. What, what do you have? What do you have as a steward? If you, if you have received Christ as you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you said, I I have a changed life. I am a new person. What what has Christ entrusted to you? I I think we should maybe even list these things out. It's a good idea to write them down, at least to think through. What has Christ given to me? Well, he's given all all of us time. As I mentioned, these time, talents, treasures. We, We have time. How are we spending our time? How are we using the time that we have? Is it, is it mostly about me? Is it, is it mostly about serving God and, and using the time that I have for Him? Um, talents, uh, th- these could be spiritual gifts. These could be, uh, as Paul had the gift of teaching or evangelism, or you, you may have the gift of, of hospitality or, or helps or service. Uh, whatever God has given to you as a spiritual gift, and um, if you need help working through that, figuring those things out, I'm, I'm sure uh, the elders and staff would, would be great, uh, would be more than happy to, to help you work through that, to figure those things out. But, but learning what it is, how has God wired me, how has he created me to work for him? The focus has to be working for God. And then what, what training have you received? Maybe you have some professional training that you use in your, in your work that, that should, could be used uh, for the kingdom. And then your treasures. Now, of course, we, we immediately think of money, uh, but there are other treasures that you have. You have 
perhaps a house or a car, perhaps you have a family, uh, perhaps you have um, your role as a student. Um, you, you have these treasures, these things that you have been entrusted with. Your children are not your own. Your family is not your own. It's God's. They're God's children. How are you training and instructing them for Him, for the kingdom? So how, how are we being good, good stewards? And then a few pitfalls, uh, some potential pitfalls to think about uh, as we think about living our Christian life um, for God. These, these workers had to live in the world, and they had to work in the world with unbelievers and we'll say false believers, false Christians. So the third we'll call a false Christian. He was presenting himself as a servant, but he wasn't a faithful servant. But the other two servants had to live and work with him, and they saw that they were working and he wasn't. Now, how did that make them feel when they look around saying, we're, we're putting our, our master's um, property we're, we're trying to entrust it and do good by it. And here he is on easy street, just laying around eating and drinking and whatever. He's not doing anything. Perhaps they were a bit envious of him. And that's a potential pitfall for us as we look around and we think, I'm working so hard and all the rest of these people are doing nothing. And yet they seem to be happy and, and joyful. And they're saying what a good time they're having. Um, why am I doing this? Why am I stressing myself overworking? That's a potential pitfall for us. The temptation to um, covet or be envious of those who maybe were entrusted with a bit more than we were entrusted with. We think, oh, I, if I just had, you know, what he has, or if I was, you know, could host parties like she does, um, boy, that, I, I, I could just really serve the kingdom In, instead of thinking, what has God given to me? Because as we said before, he's, giving, he's given to me exactly what I need because he knows me better than anyone. And then thirdly, the master is away for a long time. The Christian must be prepared, as we learned last week, for the master to be away for a long time, for the bridegroom to not return immediately. How are we preparing ourselves for the long haul? The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. If we use up all of our energies, but we're not replacing them through the means of grace, through reading the Bible, through prayer, through communion with other believers, through a being at worship, if we're not renewing ourselves in those ways, we won't make it. We will not have the oil needed for our lamps down the road. So preparing yourself for what's to come. I think we all get caught up in, in building our own kingdoms, and we forget that we're to be working for the kingdom of God. But Revelation reminds us. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now we know that kingdoms come and go. Uh, even in this country, uh, I was just over the Easter break taking my kids around, you know, looking at the, the Hadrian's Wall, the Romans, and then all these castles going back to Normans and then through medieval times. And all these things come and go, don't they? All, all these kingdoms have passed away. The present one will pass away. But God says, my kingdom will never pass away. And Christ will reign forever and ever. How are you doing at being a steward? It's not meant to heap piles of guilt on yourself. But are you living the life uh, 
that you profess to believe. Your life should look different than it did before. If it doesn't, repent. Jesus says, come to me. He's a a good father. He's a good master. His, His burden is easy. His yoke is light. He says, come to me. He will give you the strength. Paul says, I can do all these strengths. I can do all these things by the strength that God gives me. He will give you what you need to accomplish the task. Come to him and ask for it. But you have to put off the sin. You have to confess and repent of your slothful wickedness. Notice that the the third servant who who did nothing, he he didn't squander the money. He didn't go and spend it on, on prostitutes or something. He just didn't work with it. He was slothful. He was lazy. Confess that to God. Come to him saying, I'm slothful. I'm lazy. I'm selfish. Help me, God. Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And he will. So this this passage is both a, a warning and an encouragement. So maybe this morning, maybe you need to hear the warning. You need to hear the warning that the master is coming back and there will be a day of judgment. There will be a reckoning of have, have you borne good fruit in keeping with repentance? As John the Baptist said to the, the Pharisees, have you done that? Maybe you need to hear the encouragement, though. Maybe you, you are working, you have working, and you said, I, I, I'm just tired. I, I'm working, and I, I'm, I'm trying to bear fruit, and I'm just not seeing any. And I don't know how much longer I can go on. Christ says to you, I am coming back. That's the light at the end of the tunnel. That's what you can look for, is entering into the joy, the presence of your master. And he says to you, that will happen. I am coming for you. Hold on, persevere to the end. And we will be in the joy of the presence of our master, and he will reign his kingdom forever and ever. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your warning. We thank you for your encouragement to us. God, would you help us as we try to live good and faithful lives in the present age of darkness? Father, would you show us? Would you show us more of our sins? Show us where we are slothful and wicked and and lazy, turning away from our Master. Father, would you help us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.